Programming languages have been around for decades and decades, but until recently, they really prioritized working with language and working with numbers. And for me, what processing is really about is let's learn how to think with code. Let's learn how to take these really exciting ideas from computer science and from coding and apply them in the visual domain. But let's start with images. Anyo here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of After Dinner Mints. Before we begin, I highly recommend everyone watching to join us in the Artblocks Discord. For those watching us on the live stream, there will be people in the community chatting in the Artblocks Mints channel. A link to our Discord can be found in the description of this video. As always, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss an episode of our weekly show. And now I want to introduce our guest for this evening. We have uh, Artblocks founder and generative artist, Snowfro. Hey, welcome. We have Artblocks CCO and generative artist, Jeff Davis. Hello. And I'm delighted to introduce the founders of Processing. We have Casey Reese. Hello. And we also have Ben Fry. Well, welcome. Thank you so much, Casey and Ben, for joining us on a special evening as we help celebrate 20 years of processing. I want to go ahead and get started. Before you met, before you both met and created processing, can each of you share with us your background as it relates to tech and art? Well, you know, I didn't learn how to code well until I was in my like mid to late 20s. And so for me, I studied visual art, drawing, and graphic design at university. And that kind of like led to learning coding a little bit later. And then Ben and I, we'll get to the meeting part, but we, we both met at MIT and that's really when my, my life changed and I started merging what I knew about visual space and construction and ideas with, with ideas from computer science and started synthesizing those together. So I had a lot of time working with traditional materials and working with typography before moving into computation and code. Cool. And how about yeah. you, Ben? Yeah, I... I had a sort of separate split interest in design and code for a long time, you know, so as a, as a kid learning how to code and uh, like eight, nine, 10 years old, learning basic and things like that. And then, but on a parallel track, being really interested in graphic design and typography and that sort of thing and really pursuing them as totally separate, you know, cause I didn't really have a good way of mixing the two or that didn't have a good model for what that would mean to put them together and set wound up studying graphic design in school with and minoring computer science and then finally making it to the media lab and, you know, sort of having a different way of kind of mixing everything. Cool. Awesome. And so, then, and then how did the two of you both meet then? A lot of hours at, at the media lab. So we, we were in John Midas group, the aesthetics computation group, and really just put in a lot of time uh, together. We were maintaining John's design by numbers project. And so Casey was doing some sort of courseware and support stuff for it. And I'd been building you know, some of the guts and uh, the two of us been teaching with it a lot and also just being in this that same program. So doing our research together and that sort of thing. So that was a sort of separate effort from any of the processing stuff or DBN. Yeah, I think it's fair to say John Maeda brought us together. I think Ben and I both ended up there to study with John. He was mixing 
visual space with computer science in a way at that time, unlike anybody I knew. And when I saw his work, I knew that's the direction that I wanted to go. And so that's, that's how I ended up there. And I, I met Ben, you know, as I was, I was like applying to the program and we spent two years in a very small room, just like working side by side, kind of nonstop with, with the rest of our, with the rest of our group. There were about six of us there. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So processing started in 2001. Can you take us through, you know, the start of building this project? Like, was did Ben, you know, reach out to Casey or did who reach out to who and how did you guys get the ball rolling? We're going to play chicken on who answers this time. So we, you know, it, as we were doing a lot with the Design by Numbers project, we just, that experience of like teaching folks who are not familiar with code, like taught us a great deal about just what, you know, what folks were running into and how they were thinking about how they wanted to make things. And there was also uh, a real parallel to that, to the way that we wanted to be able to like quickly sketch things out for our own work. And, you know, so basically the things that like, you really don't want to be in the way of what beginners are doing, like just to kind of like get something to show up on the screen is also like, even if somebody who's has a lot of experience, like they also don't want to deal with that, you know, because it's just, they want to, they know how to do it. They want to just get something uh, up and running. And so in the course of, you know, sort of teaching DBN and kind of working with that, like we started adding all these strange things to it. Like we added, you know, like Python and OpenGL and Scheme. It, it just kind of was, you know, this very minimal language that we were extending in all these strange ways and decided, you know, it was really time to do something that really kind of, or it was more made sense, you know, like wasn't kind of polluting the really simple, really clear idea for what DVN was doing, that it was sort of like, you know, language with like eight commands or something like that. And instead have something that was more about general purpose, you know, being able to create stuff visually and um, that being in the, you know, hello world being something that was visual as opposed to like, you know, writing out to a console or something, something like that. We, we we saw what was so extraordinary about design by numbers and we had both worked on it as Ben said in different ways and we saw an opportunity to build on it, like to directly build on it and to make something. And that was really the origin of it. I don't I don't know who's how it really started. I know that we kind of sat down one day with some paper, it wrote a bunch of stuff out and it kind of moved from there. So did you know what the final what you wanted the final product to look like? Or is it more of a, you know, you just started putting down some notes and then Things kind of evolved over time. That we were after in part was just, you know, so the design of numbers that one of the things that was so nice about it, just, you know, very simple, you put up a couple commands and get something to show up on the screen. And so like, you know, very much in line with what processing does today. And and it was just sort of like you type a couple things and hit a run button and, and you go. And so we we wondered if we could, you know, the, the premise was basically, can we do that, but kind of keep keep things a lot more performant and be able to make much more sophisticated work with it? You know, so can you have that same like really, you know, simple, very minimal kind of barrier to entry thing, but then actually have it be performant, you know, so behind the scenes it was running Java, which is significantly faster than like, I don't know, really just, you know, most of the other uh, scripting stuff at the time, as far as like what well, action script, people weren't really coding with action scripts that, that same way it's, at that point, Python was not really fast enough to do that, you know, really sat down, like it really required kind of sitting down and doing sort of full-fledged coding just to get sort of visual stuff to happen. And so we were hoping we could kind of have a bridge that, you know, you could kind of cheat and have stuff, you know, like have things running quickly, you know, so you'll see that there's a straight line, certainly from what we were doing with with DBN and, you know, but also it didn't make sense as a, an extension to DBN because John had this very kind of a really neat, really singular sort of mission to it as far as like, can you have just this real 
you know, minimal number of commands to start, you know, getting up and running and withdrawing and a, you know, 100 by 100 coordinate system and just keep things really stripped down to the basics. Yes, it's 100 by 100 pixels grayscale. I mean, that was, that was basically the programming language. It was extraordinary for sitting down with people who were visual people, artists, designers, and within, you know, a half hour, you can have people making images with it. It was so, so powerful and enabling, but at the same time, you couldn't do things large. You couldn't do things 3D graphics. You couldn't work with, well, you could work with networking and other things, but processing was really meant to uh, take what was amazing about DBN and to, and to push it, and to push it further. And then like, this is kind of one thing that we were working against. This was our, you know, one of the coding environments at the time, Metroworks Code Warrior. <laughs> you can be a code warrior, but we, we really wanted to, to strip this down and to just have like DBN, this run and stop button to, to make it much more inviting to people who have never looked at a full coding environment before, but also don't need all of those like hundreds of features that come with it. Oh, amazing. So processing has direct origins at the MIT Media Lab going all the way to the Visual Language Workshop, which was founded in 1975. Can you talk to us about how that impacted and, and shaped the creation of processing? Yeah, the, the BLW was this amazing group run by Muriel Cooper and that, you know, who had been what she was had designed for MIT Press, you know, she did that amazing MIT Press logo, like actually we didn't hack it to meet her, sadly. But she uh, ran this group where it was kind of one of the first really looking at, you know, especially in an academic setting, really looking at what happens when you start doing this merger of in particular graphic design and, and computer science and, and code and so forth. And so they were very heavy on text and information and things like that, you know, sort of first experiments looking at, you know, uh, a 3D type and so forth, like doing sophisticated color work, just some of the earliest, you know, sort of things there. But, and then John, after she passed away, John was brought in to sort of continue in that, in that vein, but with, you know, kind of a different, a different sort of direction. But the work that they did that, you know, there's so much formative stuff that they had put together, like as far as just environments and tools they would build for themselves and just the approach of it, just the, the idea of, you know, sort of within the media lab setting, building sort of demos, you know, sort of thinking through an idea, building a, a demo, which is sort of a way of actually expressing it by building it first and then be able to take that and share it with people and, you know, walk them through it, not by talking about it, but by actually building the thing and then like having folks be able to pay, uh, poke at it and play with it and run it. And, and also just the pedagogical aspect of it, you know, so it was just situated at in a research lab at MIT. And so it's not that interesting if just a couple of people are able to do it at MIT. We want to be able to expand that audience of folks who are working with this stuff as much as possible. So yeah, we, we owe them a, a good bit. You know, they're a real inspiration for us and another, you know, so for for me is, you know, coming up through graphic design and be able to see things like, oh, wow, this is a different, you know, different way of looking at this kind of work and thinking about information in particular. But it was also, that's a time where you couldn't do this at home. This is a time where you needed to be in a lab where you had silicon mm -hmm. graphics machines that cost, I don't know, $250,000. Wow. By the time I got there, it was like $20,000 <laughs> SGI machines. It, it was really prohibitive. And at this moment, like around 1999, all of a sudden with GPUs, you could get a tricked out PC and you could really start doing this at a different scale. It was really a moment of change. So Ben, this is your slide, the sort of the... Yeah, just that there were 
a, a handful of different, you know, different things, like different frameworks that we had used internally with the group. You know, so ACU was something that our immediate research group used. So we, you know, programming in C++. There were other, you know, things that came before that, both from our group, but also going back to like, there's this thing called Bad Windows by done by this brilliant guy, Bob Saviston. And yeah, we were kind of building on this tradition of, you know, building tools for ourselves while also having to do our real research, you know, like we're never really allowed to work on processing or any of the, or ACU for that matter. And so we had to kind of like get all our work done and somehow figure out a way to like, I don't know, take care of that other stuff. So in 1999, uh, John Maeda asked you both to teach a series of workshops at RISD. How was that experience for the two of you? It was amazing. And we, we, we also were teaching that with Elise Co, which I think is, is good to amend there as well. It was the three of us. And I think through that workshop and a couple others around DBN, I think that was really the moment where we saw the potential of teaching coding in this way with artist designers focused on making images and also saw the potential for making something, you know, around it and on top of it that, that could expand, you know, to have a, what do you say, a low floor and a much higher ceiling with what we were building. Ben, how did, how did everything kind of evolve with processing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with, you know, with things like that, it was just this, this idea of it kind of, you know, forced the issue, right? That like, you know, for Casey and I, we, we personally wanted to be able to like really quickly be able to do stuff like, I don't know, do, write some code and have it generate vector graphics that we can take back into Illustrator or something else and mess with further or, you know, you know, be able to do that, but also build these interactive things and also the 3D stuff. We wanted that to kind of run in a browser and be more accessible and not just live in these SGI workstations. And like, yeah, so like the more that we spent time with students who were like also asking, you know, so you have a bunch of RISD students who are, you know, coming out of a, this amazing, you know, graphic design program. They're like, what do you mean we can only do 100 levels of gray and 100 by 100 pixel grid? And like, you know, for as much as it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, working with constraints and kind of uh, thinking through that, you also want to like, want to see what they're going to do and they have, you know, that we open up more of those constraints and like the kinds of things that they have in their heads. And so I think that, that really served as in, you know, those kinds of workshops really served as inspiration for it, not just being something that was like bothering Casey and I, that we wanted this kind of stuff or wasn't, but we kind of want this for our friends at the lab, who we keep having to explain things like how to get pixels out of an image or, you know, something like that, but really kind of forcing the issue of like, yeah, we need, we need some better tools for this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You guys, so when you're kind of like at this like early point and like kind of moving from design by numbers and the, it being purposely sort of constrained and then thinking like, oh, let's do something that has like more space in it, I guess, to explore. Did you guys at that point, like, were you realizing like the amount of space that could be explored sort of in this, you know, like the, the full idea of like, like really generative, <laughs> like putting a lot of logic and just letting something kind of become its own thing versus, you know, it sounded like when you were first starting, like you were trying to make it do specific things versus then like this idea of making something that's more like emergent or that there's this really huge space that you're starting to open up. Yeah. Like, are you starting to like see that at that point? Is that part of what you're yeah, realizing I, as you're building? Well, it, it's funny because it's, it was, uh, it was more like, for that kind of work, it was more that Casey and I were both thinking about those ideas. Like, it wasn't necessarily that we developed processing specifically around that stuff, yet our work, you know, both dealt with different aspects of that. You know, so for, for me, working in uh, information and this whole idea of like, you know, can you 
do information design that's more organic and have kind of different pieces of information kind of interacting with each other and sort of uh, code-wise living by living by rules and sort of seeing emergent behavior for, you know, an, an actual output from something as opposed to like this really prescriptive way that we think about data visualization at this point. And Casey also doing generative work. So it's kind of, it's, it's funny because it's, it wasn't necessarily, I don't know, I think it was sort of an assumption built into it because there's such a specific set of things that Casey and I were thinking about and working on within our own work at the time. And then that just, you know, was going to be built in there. that way. And then also we, I mean, we were very much a part of this community together and other people had come from architecture backgrounds and math backgrounds. And I think everything at that point was like, it was full screen. It was 3D more or less. I mean, people were doing 2D stuff, of course, too. It was highly interactive using external hardware interfaces. And like, that's where our heads were. And Ben and I, of course, had our own specific interests. And I think when processing got out into the world, other people wanted to do other things. They wanted to do like really specific sound stuff, more computer vision stuff, import, export different data formats that Ben and I had been working with. And that's when we started building out the the library system to kind of like for us to get out of the way, to allow other people to create new parts of processing, to fully own those projects, to to write them, to share them, to document them. I think at that point, it, the project just expanded uh, tremendously in its potential. And that's, that's because it was completely um, free library open source software. And, and there were a lot of people uh, like engaging with the software and in, in community and wanting to extend it and to share what they were doing and passionate about with everybody else. Cool. Did you have anything else, Jeff, that you wanted to throw in there? No, I was just curious because okay. it's like, I just was curious yeah. if it was the kind of like, you know, as you're sort of building this tool, like, is there sort of this aha moment where you're like, oh my gosh, we just opened up a door to something new that hasn't yet, you know, been explored. Because to me, like, it seems like there were people thinking about these things, but didn't have sort of the technology to actually like pursue them because to manually iterate through the things that processing or, or being able to code, if you could code it all on your own, but like people that were thinking this way that didn't necessarily have, you know, d- development skills to like actually sit down and write a computer program to do all of it, that you're kind of creating this new space for people to explore systems and iterative work and things like that. So I was just wondering if there was some point when you guys were building, like, oh, we, sh- we just opened up a new door to something brand new here. <laughs> and I mean, I think, I don't know if there's a transition point of yeah, we, you know, because it also that that's kind of an evaluation that we can't really do, you know, like from inside of it, you know, that I think there's a lot of that stuff that's sort of in the water force at the time, but they um, very explicitly, you know, kind of going back to that idea of, you know, so actually coming from John as well, like that it, it's not very interesting if it's just a handful of people, like the six people each year who are in this group at the media lab to be able to do this work and or to be able to work in this kind of space. And it's way more interesting if you kind of bring in all these people from different kinds of domains and like, whether it's, you know, design or architecture or, you know, on and on and on, like hopefully folks completely outside of those fields. And so that, you know, which I was kind of referencing as the pedagogical side of it, but really it's kind of the somewhere between, you know, the teaching, the access to it, the, yeah, it's just a lot more interesting if you expand that whole space. Right. And so I think that was kind of, that was a big part of what we were after. Also that the folks who were starting to do a little bit more coding, there was a good bit of that being its own sort of kind of gatekeeping around that too. And so we didn't want it to be sort of like, oh, here's a couple people who can do like really fancy generative, whatever kind of things with code. 
when some, a lot of that stuff should be, you know, how do we make that really easy for everybody? And then at that point, we can start getting better work out of it, right? You know, so if like everybody knows how to do a Bornoi diagram or, you know, something like that, then it's, it's a lot more compelling because then people are kind of get past that algorithmic thing and start getting into like a more interesting conceptual space. And so wanting to get, wanting to make that algorithmic and code aspect of it kind of disappear a little bit so that you can actually focus a bit more on either process-wise what you're building or just the artifacts, you know, created themselves rather than just technique. What happens when you assume A, that you're drawing and B, you're going to have motion and interactivity you can cut out code, which you're going to be reusing over and over again, which somebody with a background in computer science, it's no problem. But for somebody who just wants to draw a line or wants to make a circle move across the screen, you don't need all that code to be repetitive. And so processing allowed you to just cut straight to the core of getting to work with, with motion and getting to work with, with drawing. So another thing is that, of course, at that time, there were like different environments. Um, this is something that we were reacting to. This is the director environment. And so this is an environment that a lot of designers were using to make things with at that time, sort of from the CD-ROM multimedia age. And the idea here is sort of there's a timeline, but you can put code on the different pieces. And it just didn't allow you to really access what you could do with software. It was easy to use, but it was like a limiter on the different kinds of things that you could do. Programming languages have been around for decades and decades, but until recently, they really prioritized working with language and working with numbers. And for me, what processing is really about is let's learn how to think with code. Let's learn how to take these really exciting ideas from computer science and from coding and apply them in the visual domain. But let's start with images. And I think that the curriculum that we built around processing, it took years to figure out how to teach artists and designers out of code by the whole community with a lot of trial and error is one of the biggest things that we brought to it. And with that, from the, from the early days, like you think from the first few conversations was this idea of making a sketchbook for coding and this idea of sketching with code. Those are, those are some thoughts about what I think we've, we've brought to the table, building on top of like all the work that, that came before. And so for me, the, the idea of sketching with code was, was really the main reason of processing. And the idea is kind of like to sit down, try something out, maybe it doesn't work, and then you try something else out. And you sort of build these trees of thought that you can like move up and down and, and explore in a really quick, immediate, direct way that languages that we were using at the time, like C++ and Java, just were kind of inhibited doing. But on top of that, this idea that I think a lot of the art blocks artists know is maybe you spend a couple hours writing the engine and then maybe you spend five months after that, like tuning it and tweaking it and making small little changes and uh, processing with this immediate visual feedback for me sort of allowed my work to, to grow and develop in that way. That's very cool. Oh, so what is the, what would you guys say are like some of the biggest hurdles or challenges that you face, you know, throughout the creation of processing? Was there something where you hit like a roadblock and then basically, you know, you were kind of stuck for a while and you had to kind of just, you know, sit on and think or... Can you get, kind of go dive into that a little bit? The deep one. We've, we've burned out multiple times in the last 20 years <laughs> and just had, just had to take a long break. It's, it's really been hard, but seeing the things people make with it has been, you know, extraordinary and motivating and, and wonderful. That's great. That's always promising. You know, obviously you put in your heart and soul into, you know, creating this. So 
it's influenced so many people and created so many amazing projects. And it's obviously very much appreciated. So during the very beginning of the project, the name was always changing. It looks like, you know, you had processing, but then you used the numbers zero and three, and then you use the numbers three and five in processing, and then you use zero and one. How did you come up with the final name of just using all letters and just creating uh, processing? Who knows? Who can remember that? <laughs> we thought it would be a great idea to have the name be generative. And so like, yeah, we'll just have it keep, you know, sort of iterating and always be different whenever it shows up. And we, we played with that. You can see old versions of the site. If you go to like archive.org, you'll see like we didn't use the same version of processing the spelling with the numbers and the letters and so forth. The same in any, any of the, anywhere. And so it just kind of kept changing. The software itself could change, you know, the, the title in the menu bar, things like that. Like, oh, this would be kind of fun. And just kind of eventually we moved away from it because it was a little too on the nose. It's like, it's code. Do you get it? And so we, you know, dialed it back a bit. We used processing.net with the two fives for the passes for the domain for a long time. We managed to like save up some budget to buy, like eventually buy processing.org from a scalper at the time for I think $3,000 or something, which it was like a, outrageous sum of yeah, money at lot. the time, like and certainly for us and what our budgets were like being like zero. But it was, but yeah, it, it, it was a good move, I think. Absolutely. I regret it to this day. <laughs> uh, well, can you guys talk to us about the Processing Foundation? So in 2012, we realized that we needed to do something because we were just like really struggling and we'd never worked with money before. We had been completely volunteer from 2001 to 2012. We got a couple of small grants that allowed some time to work or pay people for a very small amount of time to work. And so we started the foundation to hold the copyright for the software and then also to allow us to start receiving donations from the community was really necessary. I think we'd we'd maxed out what we could do with volunteer time and, and all volunteer hours. And since 2012, the foundation is also, it's really expanded our mission in a beautiful way. Ben and I were always, you know, just struggling to get the website done, struggling to get the software out. We didn't have any time for community. We didn't have any time for advocacy. And the foundation and the grant writing that the team that, has, that we're working with now has allowed us to, to begin to do that work. And so now we have our Processing Community Day. We have Processing Community Day Global, which we've actually just been celebrating this weekend. This is kind of the the final event, but we've been able to bring on Johanna and Dorothy and Tony and Saber. And we're now able to have some income for paying for the development leads for P5JS and for the online web editor for P5. And it's really changed everything for us in an extraordinary way. Also, I should say Dan Schiffman is, is a third project leader processing now. Eventually he came on and joined us with that too. What else to say about the foundation? Well, on, on Dan Shipman, that was a really great influx of energy for us as far as kind of giving us a nice, a nice boost. And it's just, it's always a, a great time to hang out with Dan. And yeah, it's just, you know, really wonderful to work with. But I think the other thing for the foundation was that part of the reason it took so long was in, you know, processing was, has always been something that is done like in our spare time, like whatever that means. And that it was never like, it has never been our job. We've never been like paid to do it full time. We've never, you know, like even going back to as, you know, students and doing our graduate work, it was not part of our, it was not our graduate work. You know, like we had other stuff we were studying for dissertations and master's theses and so forth. And so, so basically it was kind of something that we worked on or we've always worked on because we feel it's important and continue to, to feel so, but it's also 
given, you know, given the limited time afforded by that. So it's like, Hey, I've got, you know, an hour or two or four to uh, work on this stuff. Do I go out and work on grants? Do I, you know, see about starting a foundation? Do I figure out how to set up a 501c3? Do I, you know, all of the other logistical things that might go with that? Or do I like deal with these immediate, immediate, you know, 10 different issues that we need to take care of and add another feature that I want, you know, I've been using in my own work and I want to get out into the rest of the community. And so, you know, for that first 10, 12 years, we quite literally always chose the, <laughs> chose the latter. And, you know, and it was, and it was really required forcing ourselves to like, okay, we need to just do this because this is not a sustainable and unsustainable sort of thing. Very cool. So I, I've received a couple of questions from artists that are on our platform. And so I'll just kind of go over them right now. What is uh, your collaboration workflow like between the two of you? We've never actually been in the same place while working on processing. Oh, wow. Which is kind of funny. So basically that 20 years ago, Casey was finishing up his master's as we were kind of making the first version. So I guess we, you know, did the sketch on paper and things like that. And we were talking about it. And the very first release happening, you know, on the 9th, that was while I was, you know, overseas. Casey is back in Boston, like, you know, try and get it to get his thesis done by the end of August, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, completely in, you know, so we were both like extremely busy with our own sort of thing. And yeah, but it's, it's been interesting because it was really for as long as we've collaborated, it's always been this remote sort of thing, but it was established by our relationship from having worked together for, you know, the couple of years prior and just sort of knowing, you know, uh, knowing that the other was, was always working, working late and later and, you know, just our general approach for, you know, how we would attack stuff. And so, but it's, yeah, it's, it's funny that that's, you know, kind of held up that way. Yeah. Yeah. And we would really get together once or twice a year, sometimes more if we were lucky and really hash out the hard stuff, the really difficult stuff. And I think AOL Instant Messenger was how processing <laughs> got developed for, for three years. That's amazing. <laughs> we're just kind of like always online, always on IM late nights on the kitchen table, that kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and by get together, it's, it's us being invited to speak at the same conference, you know? So like, we didn't like have a budget to like go and hang out and work together. It was like, oh, cool. Let's say yes to this conference because we've both been invited to do this thing and we'll have, you know, a weekend or a week or a couple of days or whatever to like crank away on some stuff. And oftentimes the early releases would happen at 2 a.m. or 4 a.m., the day before a workshop that would start at like 8 a.m. It was kind of like developed by necessity by, by those kinds of deadlines. It's amazing. What about your favorite college courses? Were there specific courses where you said like this was the biggest influence and, in, you know, moving you forward to creating processing? Interesting. I was a real design geek in college and deeply into uh, curriculum. And so things like, so I like Yosef Al writing about color or Itten writing about form or, you know, Armin Hoffman's graphic design manual, Wolfgang Weingart's uh, work in design. That, that way of teaching design, sort of house legacy kind of way of teaching design was a large part of my way into processing. I had this idea that we could teach all the design fundamentals through code. We could teach color, we could teach form, we could teach animation, we could teach interactivity completely within a software environment rather than in a gouache, which is like placa, which is this thick black paint that was my, you know, hand experience in, in learning those design tools. So that, yeah, the whole legacy of design education for me was one of the major motivators. When 
I went to MIT expecting to study information design and quickly kind of realized that wasn't the place for me. And so I started taking robotics classes mm. <laughs> through the AI lab. Oh, wow. And a class that I took from Rodney Brooks, where we talked about like emergence and Breitenberg vehicles and and kind of the new AI, more like artificial life, not not like conceptual AI. That had the biggest influence on the artwork that I that I made at that time and continue to make today. David, we were lucky to have some pretty pretty great courses with the lab. But the uh, I I don't know about favorite ones. I, I although one reference perhaps for kind of a direct influence was John Mida would teach a course each each semester, and so a lot of the ideas that came up in those classes are things that had a direct influence on the kinds of things that we built and. You know, an initial thing being, you know, we did, he did this numeric photography course, which was basically each week get a prompt about a way of, you know, so going out with these really terrible, you know, first generation digital cameras and shooting images with them. And then basically write your, write a Photoshop for yourself to like do something interesting with the image based on a prompt that he put out each semester and, or I'm sorry, each week. And so we spent the semester doing that and just that experience of like, oh, okay, how do I get <laughs> image data out? How do I start playing with those uh, color values? How do I do that in a way that's like sane and not, you know, not making people kind of get into all this weird stuff about, you know, the way that color data is stored and all that and like just making that as accessible as possible that that had a big influence on it. And so the, the photo class was one, there was an, you know, courses in interaction processing came along a couple of years later, John was teaching a course called Organic Form. And in that one, he um, made a uh, sort of wanted to teach several different languages, you know, so first starting with design by numbers. And then he's like, all right, let's do Scheme. And so like I hacked Scheme into the design by numbers environment. Then he's like, all right, let's do Python. And so like I hacked Python into the design by numbers environment. And so that was also sort of, you know, becoming like what processing would then become because like, oh, wait, we can just keep hacking different languages in here. This actually kind of works. And, you know, playing with this experimental mode of, you know, a version of DVM that could do larger you know, spaces and things. And so, and so then in that class was in a position of basically needing to build the software that was going to, that the students were all going to have to use while also having to turn in my work each week. And so again, that sort of, hey, here's this sort of side project that we're doing along with the rest of it. That's cool. Actually, Ben, that reminds me of another really fundamental thing about the origins of processing is that it it has dual audiences. We really want to allow people who are very technical, people who are already really good coders to be able to work with visual form and to be educated in visual form, as well as to teach coding to artists and designers. And I think that also came out of MIT in these Mass 110 classes that Ben mentions. Yep. Computer science majors and architecture majors in the same class. And by the end of the semester, they had learned so much from each other. The architects would learn from the coders and the coders would learn about visual form from the architects. And so processing you know, we talk about the two cultures, you know, like science and art, and it's really meant to be a space in between where nobody has an advantage. The artists don't have an advantage over the systems and the coding, and the coders don't have an advantage over the artist and the and thinking about visual space and ideas. Very cool. Are, are there any projects that either of you are working on or any of them together? Nothing together at the moment. Mostly just, just the processing force. Yeah, I mean, processing force has been going on for 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 a long time and it's getting really close. And also the new processing website and processing.org just launched about a week ago. That's been over a year of work, like wow. really hard work that Design Systems International basically completely donated to us, which I think is the 
the biggest volunteer in labor that we've ever had. And it's such good. I had all these Perl scripts that I like wrote in 2002 and 2003 that have been like moved over into modern web. And there was a, a team of like volunteers, like 12 people who ported over all that content from like old formats and up, up-resed images. And I think our been in my collaboration at the moment is like completely focused on the processing stuff. Yeah. We've done, we've done a couple things in the past. We did like a huge, like 72 foot by eight foot mural together that was all like printed out. We've done a series of like works on paper, which, which is still up at MIT. So it's kind of fun. Like I was oh, just wow. around campus last week or so and, you know, going past it. And so here it is kind of, you know, looking out. So super fun to still see those, those things around. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, I, I know Casey, you're, are, are you working on a playground job on our blocks? I, I think I saw I something in the channel. Potentially, no? <laughs> I haven't talked to Jeff and, and Snowfro about it yet. But okay. I, I've been working on actually three different things at the same time. I don't know. I don't know what's going to come first. Okay. And then what about mm-hmm. you, Ben? Are you uh, potentially going to do a drop? I, I probably <laughs> should. The rest of my work has been, we've, so it, I run a, a studio, like my, my supposed real job is uh, running a studio in Boston. And we've been doing an enormous amount of COVID related work. And so there's mm-hmm. kind of, no end to the which needs to be done there. So I, I, I haven't had nearly as much uh, sort of other time to like carve out. But hopefully, hopefully so. Very cool. So processing has become so huge. Do you ever feel that it will be permanently be attached to you as in Casey Reese and Ben Fry of processing fame? And does that bother you? Or is that something that, you know, you enjoy? Or I don't know, can you kind of like touch base on that? For me, it's a hard one to talk about. Because, and I mean, just to kind of say it bluntly, Ben and I have been like stressing out, ruining our health, losing sleep for 20 years over this project. But also at the same time, there's so many other people who have contributed to this. And yeah. if you go to the processing site, look under the people, people have contributed years of work to processing that aren't Ben Frying case series. <laughs> and I really want, I mean, those people need to be recognized as well. And so I, I like to talk about that. I think it's, it's also so. Casey and I were having separate work that we, you know, that we're doing or different kinds of careers that we're pursuing, you know, like in, in addition to this, this processing thing, there's also, you know, so obviously there's, you know, for me personally, there's part of me that just really enjoys building tools for other folks to use because I get so excited about what folks make with them. And, and so to the degree that like, this is something that folks have engaged on and, you know, sort of been, you know, invested into and further, like, there are moments at which it's like, well, should I, maybe I should be just doing that full time. You know, like it's like, so how do you, if that is something of larger impact and, you know, so what, what's the, what's the right amount of, you know, time to be spending on it relative to these other sort of personal selfish, you know, whatever my other pursuits that I'm, that I'm wanting to do because yeah, it just, you know, even to give it that much more attention, especially given just sort of the, like, what's our, what is that relationship to the community and what's the right, the right way to further, you know, further engage and that keep, you know, keep it moving along. And thankfully we've had lots of, as Casey has mentioned, we've had lots of other people who are coming in and extending it different ways. And it doesn't need to be just about kind of what Ben and Casey's processing would is, or, you know, what the foundation is with, you know, the, the two of us and, or the, even the two of us stand, but it is an interesting, you know, like a, it's kind of out there, you know, like it kind of keeps, keeps calling us back in. In the, in the early days, we were, we were really focused on, like there was a processing community that was around this like alpha forum that we built. And Ben and I kind of lived on that forum for a number of years. And 
there were a lot of like people there sharing with each other, sharing code. Hey, how do I do this? Oh, have you tried this? It was really wonderful. But then everything like spun out to the point where it grew and grew and grew. I have no clue like how many people are using processing and where. And every time I travel, like, I don't know if I go to Tokyo or Moscow or Dubai, I mean, I meet people who are using processing. And we started the processing community day worldwide a number of years ago to really try and engage with people about it. And I think people have really like owned processing in their own ways. Like there's a community day in Tokyo, community day in Brazil. They have so much energy and so much local community. It's, I, I'll just say it's, Processing is not Casey Reese and Fry right now at all. I mean, we're we're keeping we're keeping it warm and 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 making it, but it's it's so beyond that. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I actually just got a question from uh, Tyler Hobbs. What steps can we take to help legitimize this art form in the eyes of the traditional world, or is it even a worthwhile thing to worry about? <laughs> I've been trying to do that for you know twenty years. I had my first gallery show in New York in November two thousand and one. I really cared about that for a long time. At this moment, I don't care at all. I want to I want to build new things and honestly Art Blocks has given given a lot of energy and I think it's it's given maybe I could say it's given me the courage to not care about validation from other art sources. I'm really excited about building something new and doing that on our own terms in our own way with without a need to be concerned with what happened before. I mean and I love art history. I look at it all the time like it's important for me and in my work. But those are my thoughts about it at the moment. You know, modest success. People just didn't understand really what I was doing. And I kind of, kind of to your point, Casey, it just feels like we're on the verge of something new and a new level of acceptance and a new audience and, you know, people that are more digitally native or, or internet of the age of the internet. And they're just starting to understand like what, what this artwork is and what it's about and appreciating it. And so. I'm, I'm with you too. Like I've kind of like, what eventually I'd like for all of this to like find its way into the dialogue around general contemporary art. But at the moment it feels like, yeah, we're just building something new and it's, it's a, it's a great vehicle for all the artists that are engaged in generative art right now. So. Yeah. It's just attack on that really quick. I'm sorry. Like we were both had the, we're in the auction at Sotheby's and I think that was a thrill. That was really great to see all these different cultures collide in that. When I had my work up at the Whitney Museum and the Pompidou a number of years ago, I, that made me really, that felt really good. And so there is that too. But I, I feel like we, we should carve our own path at the same time. And if that happens, yeah. it happens. Ben, you had some thoughts, I think. No, I, I just, I think as far as worrying about like concerns for, you know, what's legitimate or what's deemed legitimate or whatever, like the, the folks who are concerned about that and who are like, will always move the goalpost, you know, so like, regardless of what you do, they're always going to move it out further. Right. You know, so if you had something in a big show, does that count? You know, does that mean, is that legitimate? Are you properly an artist? Whatever. Like it just that for the folks who care about that, it is more about sort of dating things and, you know, sort of keeping people out than it is, you know, sort of a positive moving things along. On the other hand, one of the, the way I, I think about it a lot is with, with John Mida, one of the things that on his, you know, doing his uh, PhD work at Tsukuba in Japan, uh, his, you know, his advisors are like, great, well, so this is, you know, this is nice. You're doing this computational stuff and whatever. And, but you don't have any, you know, there aren't other peers, right? So we can't compare your work <laughs> to other people to say this work is this much better or this much worse, or you, you know, you're not thinking about this or that or whatever. And I think, you know, the, 
the point here being the same within this community, you know, you know, you need to figure out what that is and what that looks like. And so how do you, you know, create works based and have them, you know, anchor off of one another, have them, you know, sort of understand, you know, develop this sort of shared understanding of what, what is happening behind these works and how to talk about them. And, you know, and it's not so much a, I don't know, needing to, you know, further set up another <laughs> sort of way of gatekeeping people out of that, but rather, you know, establishing that for yourselves and other folks, you know, may or may not figure it out or, you know, are going to come along uh, with it. But I think there's so much work to be done. Maybe another way of putting it is just, I think there's so much work to be done within the community, even before you worry about everybody else, mm-hmm. that if you kind of push all of that along and keep, you know, challenging each other and sort of doing more and more interesting work and uh, developing that have further that that's going to you know that's going to happen a lot more naturally without having to worry about whatever these other columns are into yeah (laughs) other creative fields like fashion design and painters can be toxic to each other really not a good environment for growth and for mental health and in this world of computation of creative coding it's been really supportive like over these over these 20 years people really want to help other people and want to support other people. And I'm hoping we can retain that as long as we can. Yeah, that's super important. Well, I wanted to open it up to, you know, Jeff or Snowpro. I don't know if you, either of you had any questions they wanted to ask Casey and Ben. Probably. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, man, if they were to, I don't want to take up all that. Sorry, I don't so, mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. How much do you all individually work in? Like, do would you ever write a script in P5JS or, you know, you guys... Obviously, like P5 is kind of an extension of it, and it's what allows us to do what we do. I'm just kind of curious, like, processing is still more powerful. I know that, especially if, as you get into processing four, but DLT in P5. Yeah, de- definitely. I, I mean, it's kind of going with, you know, the point of processing itself. It's We're less interested in sort of building, you know, here's the ultimate tool that you use for everything. And so it's like, yeah, so P5JS is great for, you know, the same sort of sketching out an idea, and I want to immediately put it on the web because I need other people to take a look at it or, you know, respond to it or, you know, I need to distribute it further and or I need to prototype something that might, you know, be rebuilt as a native app or something like that. And so, yeah, all, all those things still apply. And even I think that that also applies even outside of just, you know, processing in general. Like when I get excited about, you know, when folks sort of teach these platforms as, as more of a group, you know, so there's like, yeah, there's open frameworks and there's Cinder. There's, you know, these other kinds of things. I mean, all the, uh, the different environments for doing sort of more node-based programming is a whole different, different approach that works for a whole, you know, another set of people. It's really great for certain kinds of problems, you know. And so, yeah, I think it's just important to work with as many things as possible. Just kind of get, get used to it and, or get, get used to the affordances of each, you know, like it's kind of, I always think of like, you don't, you know, we don't, we haven't stopped using pencils because we have pens. Like you use, and sometimes you have know, sometimes they, they have different different sort of things they do well and then and you know and sometimes you don't use either and you type you know so uh, there's just different best to just think about that relative to you know different things that are and another thing really i think wonderful about processing being so free is that there's a lot of other language ports too there's ruby processing has been great there's a closure version there's a python version mm-hmm. i think Ben in particular is excited about a native Python version. Maybe that's processing five. That's dangerous to say. I yeah, that's it. We're good. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. Get us some trouble. Um, but yeah, I use P5 all the time. Actually, another thing is we're really, I mean, we're in the foundation together where 
meeting with P5 all the time. We've learned so so much from Lauren Lee McCarthy and now working with Chen Chen and Evelyn. It's it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be together with this. Yeah. I have a very quick, quick, quick second question. Ben, do you have an Ethereum address? I, I don't yet. Shit. Oh, you should really work on getting one of those and send it to me. <laughs> I, I somehow suckered Casey to send me one. I guess it was November. And yeah, I'd love to I'd love to get yours as well. I appreciate it. Cool. Well, is there any other questions from Jeff or Snowfro? I mean, I've been jumping in with mine along the way. So <laughs> I, I think one thing I do want to comment on that I thought of it when you guys were talking is sort of there's sort of this like educational element around processing too that I think is really important. Both, I don't know, that it's called obviously using it to to teach people basic coding and that sort of thing, but just I don't know. I, it just feels like a very important part of it's not just an artistic tool. It's also an educational tool. And so I don't know. I just, it, it kind of came up in your guys' conversation. So I just want to touch on that too. It's like you guys both teach and use it to teach, you know what I mean? And so I think that's something to know. I've, I, you know, I was in higher education for a really long time. I didn't teach, I taught much, you know, the stuff you were describing, Casey, about your <laughs> Bauhaus, you know, tenants and stuff. That's all the sort of stuff I taught. But yeah, I just, I really like the idea of it being sort of this educational tool as well as it being an artistic tool. I think, yeah, so that's a, a great point in that it brings to mind kind of this, this idea of part of it is like you're going to be perpetually learning, right? So it, it's not, there is no point at which you're like, okay, now I know how to code. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, like I've, I've figured it out. I've learned the whole set of, the whole set of things. Like I, I read that book. And so I think having an approach that, that is built around the idea of curiosity and, and perpetually learning more inside of the environment that you're using is really important. And perhaps more and be able to do that. But from that perspective, instead of it being something that's okay, now you're going to use this toy teaching environment that you can kind of sit at, you know, down at, at and use and have sort of training wheels. And then later people are going to do real work with, you know, these other kinds of tools. But I think it's really powerful if you can, you know, sort of start from this perspective of, you know, the things that you're creating are always, always going to be these sort of curiosity driven exercises, right? Where you're going to kind of go in and try and learn something and whether that's, Hey, I'm learning a new feature or learning a new, you know, part of the language or learning a way of doing something algorithmically or be able to build something and put it on a page. And then like, it's teaching you something back like, Oh, that, you know, what happened there? Like I, I didn't expect the form to do this thing. And then, you know, kind of learning from that and so, and then iterating on that further. And that there's just having that embedded in and that having that be part of the approach as opposed to kind of like, it's a classroom learning, learning kind of exercise. Like it just, can we get things more, can the education aspect be focused more on that sort of curiosity driven, finding your way through it versus, you know, the eat your vegetables kind of learning that we often associate with education. Yeah. And one thing that I'm really excited about the way process has been used is it's often like a first programming language is like a gateway. Like I talked to so many people who like learned with processing and now they're using something else. And that's beautiful for us. We never, as Ben said earlier, we never made it to be like the thing. And so the, the syntax with processing is so similar to C to intentionally for doing things on Arduino and with electronics to Java, to C++, to JavaScript, um, to C sharp. So like if you're going into the web or you're going into game design and working in Unity or, or all these other things, like w- almost well, people use lots of different programming languages through their lives. And so the idea is like, let's learn the fundamentals. Let's learn about 
variables and loops and conditionals and arrays. And once you have that, like that's the hard part. You've learned how to think in a new way. And then you can port that to what other language, whatever language you need for any project. Not, not unlike a spoken language, you know, like if you, if you learn one, it's a lot easier to pick up your next one and the next one and the next one. Definitely. Well, we got one more question for you. How do you cope with operating systems changing? Is that something that is just incredibly challenging all the time? Oh man, that's like a sword, like into, <laughs> into the, into the side, into the ribs. All right. Well, we'll just, uh, we don't need to talk about it right now. We can, we understand that it's a touchy subject. Processing for just to, just to say, fixes yeah. a lot of stuff that, that Apple broke. That, that's kind of like one of the main reasons for processing for exists. Like it, we just can't keep the code the same. I mean, this is, this is for Ben to say it always has to be like moving through the water like a shark in order to keep running as operating systems and, and hardware change. Yeah. It's, the shark thing is a great way to put it. Yeah. Like just Apple's moving in a, a direction of, Machines you don't mess with and you don't tinker with. And so it's very difficult for a project like ours as far as creating, you know, being built around creating things that are new and, you know, they want everything to be locked down and signed and, you know, distribution is a problem because it might be a virus or whatever else. And so, so yeah, so that's, you know, that's a whole other philosophical thing. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, I don't want to leave it on a sour note, but I, I would love for you to tell us, you know, Processing Foundation, you know, how can people get involved? You know, where can they go to, you know, donate time or, or money? Yeah, yeah. Processingfoundation.org and the P5JS website and the processing website, that stuff's all there. I mean, I, I do definitely want to say before we wrap this up yeah. that the community around Art Blocks has significantly changed things for the Processing Foundation. I think the generosity of the artists providing a percentage of their drops to the foundation, it's, it really, it's not overstating it to say it's going to change our ability to do, to perform our mission, to make coding accessible and to, and to make top level software environments free for everybody to use. It's just extraordinary what, what art, yeah, what you've built and what you've enabled and your artist generosity toward us. I might tear up about that. Uh-huh. Well, Casey, Ben, I, I wanted to thank both of you for carving out some time on this Sunday to, you know, help us celebrate 20 years of processing. But then also, yeah, just hearing about the history of processing, you know, the ups and downs. And yeah, we're just super thankful to have you both on tonight. Thanks it's so much. It's been so, so great. So fun. Thanks, Panyo. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But yeah, we get to have this conversation. Thank you guys so yeah. much. It means it means so much. <laughs>